This is our concluding study from that little book in the Old Testament and uh, I want to thank you for your attention and then to thank the guys at the desk at the back for their help as well. Now we remember that the the, uh, cruel and powerful Assyrians had overthrown the northern nation of Israel way back in 722 BC. And then they constantly harassed the small nation of Judah, which struggled on for another 135 years. God had sent faithful prophets to his people, but several kings of uh, Judah disobeyed God's commands. And they adopted pagan Assyrian ways. But in Zephaniah's time, a godly king, King Josiah, introduced reforms to try and restore true worship and obedience among the people. His efforts were only partly successful. And over the weeks we've mentioned several times that God's unchanging purpose through all of scripture is to bless people. Alongside that divine purpose is the unchanging principle that blessings come from obedience. But curses follow disobedience. Now last week we looked at chapter 2 which formed part of the major section of the book dealing with days of judgment for people and for nations. In particular, last week it was nations that surrounded Judah. Zephaniah's third chapter that we look at today begins by revisiting the ongoing problem of Judah's disobedience. And God's judgment. The opening paragraph is about an unnamed city, but the subject matter in the paragraph allows us to identify that city as Jerusalem. So, this first paragraph, verses 1 to 8, judgment against Jerusalem. Reading from verse 1. Let's go forward one, Andrew. That's the way. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning he dispenses his justice and every new day he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. 
Those who lived in the city were not those we would have chosen as neighbours. They were oppressors, they were rebellious, they were defiled. And in fact, the city was not the place where we would have even chosen to live. It rejected correction. It did not trust in God. It did not draw near to him. Now, four types of leaders are mentioned. Officials, rulers, prophets and priests. And there's not a good word about any of them. Familiar with that kind of thing? The officials were like lions. The rulers like wolves. The prophets were arrogant. And the priests showed disrespect for the temple sanctuary. The only one referred to in positive terms is the Lord himself. He is righteous. He does no wrong. And yet he had chosen these people and he longed to bless them. But Jerusalem's people were disobedient and therefore they were in danger. We go on to verse 6. God says, I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No one at all. I said to the city, Jerusalem, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Now these three verses were spoken by God. He tells how he had acted on behalf of his people in the past, but there will be another day still to come when he will assemble the nations, pour out his anger and the whole world, including Jerusalem, will be consumed. Now we read a little bit about that back in chapter 1 where such universal destruction was mentioned. And also in chapter 1 at verse 14, God spoke about the great Day of the Lord. Now, despite upheavals of many kinds over our world history, the world has not yet been completely consumed. You may have noticed that. Although scientists warn us that such an outcome is a possibility. Well, that was the Old Testament. Now, it might be useful for us to go to the New Testament and see what Jesus said to his disciples. 
when speaking at length with them about the end of the age, in Matthew 25, he said to them, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Notice in verse 32, Jesus also mentions all the nations being gathered. We recall that God told Zephaniah he would assemble the nations at a future time. Then Jesus said here in verse 34 that the king would say to one group of people, come you who are blessed. But then going on in verse 41, he would say to another group, depart you who are cursed. We're familiar with these concepts through God's words to Zephaniah. (coughs) And now some 600 years later, Jesus speaks in similar terms about that future day of the Lord, still to come at the end of the age. So here is a consistent flow of prophetic teaching for us to consider. But how will God's purpose to bless people eventually be fulfilled? (coughs) We go on to the rest of chapter 3, starting at verse 9. And we begin with a little section, the return of scattered people. Verses 9 and 10, Then will I purify the lips of the people, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. Verse 9 indicates that God would act in a dramatic way. He would restore purity and unity. A change of heart would cause people to call honestly on the Lord and no longer upon the useless idols to which they had turned. There would be purity of worship and there would be unity of service as people served shoulder to shoulder. It would involve not only God's people in Jerusalem but those from beyond Cush which in Zephaniah's day was the edge of the known world. There would be an uplifting time as God's scattered people return to worship him and receive his blessing. Part one, return of a scattered people. 
Now we go to part B, verses 11 to 13. The restoration of a sinful people. Verse 11, on that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The restoration of a sinful people. In this paragraph, God brings about a remarkable transformation. People will not be put to shame for the sins they have committed. God will remove some undesirable things and he will retain others that are pleasing to him. But his attention is focused on the remnant of Israel. Verse 13. Now this term has been used before by Zephaniah in chapter 2. The blessings God gives are for a minority of the people of Judah. This is a bit disturbing for it shows that many people, maybe most people, choose to ignore God, disobey God, reject God and follow their own ways. Now on that day of joy, those who have chosen to obey God and be part of the remnant are given significant blessings in verse 13 no judgment for past wrongs no lies no deceit no hunger no lack of rest and no fear God will Fulfill at last his divine purpose to bless his people. Return of a scattered people. Restoration of a sinful people. Now we go to rejoicing of a saved people. Verses 14 to 20. Verse 14 begins, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Here's a call to respond in ways that are rather rare in this little book. The people will sing, they will shout, they will rejoice. 
Now, what brings the change? God will do a remarkable thing. He will take away the punishment which disobedient people deserve. Now, maybe Zephaniah only had a limited grasp of how this would really work out, what it would really be like. Although a hundred years earlier, Isaiah had written concerning God's servant who would come, he said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now in New Testament times, the Apostle Peter said plainly, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. It was through him, the promised Messiah, that God saves us from our deserved judgment. Paul summarised it well in his letter to the Romans when he said the wages, that's what we get for what we've done. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, what we are given because we are loved, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is the reason for the singing, the shouting and the rejoicing. God is mighty to save as Zephaniah says in verse 17. So Zephaniah's book ends on a positive note. He began with the word of the Lord that came to him and now he concludes with a summary of what God will do to fulfil that word. Verse 18 of chapter 3. The sorrows for the appointed feast I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honour in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honour and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. God has more for his people. Those ones described as the remnant back in verse 13 who chose to leave their rebellious ways and return to trusting and obeying God. Now notice the emphasis in those verses 18 to 20 on what God will do. What God will do. Remove, he says in verse 19, I will deal with, I will rescue, I will give you, I will gather you, I will bring you, I will give you, I will restore you. The almighty God whom the people had disobeyed now offered hope and joy to all people 
Yes, it is offered to all people. Yet it was only those who left their evil ways, recommitted themselves to him, that remnant who will receive that promised blessing. God's unchanging purpose to bless people would be fulfilled. He will bless all who choose to trust and obey him. So Zephaniah's little book, his record of God's words during a time of great challenge, ends with rejoicing people who returned to the Lord who loved them. And he blessed them with hope and joy through his immeasurable grace. But there's one more thing. Zephaniah is called one of the minor prophets. Minor only in the sense that his book's a little one. A little one in comparison to the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. However, he does give us a helpful insight into God's consistent and purposeful plan for the world and its people. God showed great concern for his people. Those of Israel in the Old Testament, (coughs) they received his blessing and favour, but their disobedience exposed them to the curses that had been explained to them in their earlier history. Why do they keep slipping back into disobedience? Well, we live in the New Testament age and God's favour still rests on those of the new Israel, the church. The promised Messiah has come. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. To disobey inevitably brings judgment. It's an ongoing story unfolding throughout all of human history, even in our day. But as in Zephaniah's day, so today, wayward churches, disobedient people, godless nations still face judgment when they fail to obey the Lord Almighty. Now God graciously gave the Apostle John a glimpse of how this wonderful unfolding story ends. Unfortunately, he wrote it down for the benefit and encouragement of us all. In Revelation 21, having told us lots of things that happened beforehand, he comes to the end and he says in verse 1 of chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then in the last chapter of the Bible, verse 3, John tells us, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will be no need for light of a lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever the eternal God is our creator and he is our redeemer through all of history he has been working out his divine purpose for the world and its people and finally gloriously no longer will there be any curse God's invitation to those of Zephaniah's day was for them to turn and trust him and obey him. If they had wandered away, they were invited to renew their commitment to him. And that remains true down through time. It's true for us today. What has God brought before you in this series? Do you need to make that vital choice to trust and obey him? Make that decision today. Like those of Judah, perhaps you've slipped back. A need to return. God waits for you to renew your commitment. Can I say for the last time from this platform, the best is yet to come for all who trust and obey the God who loves us. Let's bow our heads in a time of silent prayer and reflection and thought and maybe commitment or recommitment. Just a time of quietness. Now, if you would like some help, please come and speak to me or to some, another Christian here that you would have confidence in. But now let's conclude our, prayer, our time together with a prayer using the words on the screen.
praying together, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loves us and by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good deed and word. Amen.